Hi, everyone, and welcome to Televisions, the podcast, an audio companion to the Televisions website and a show made by Anglophiles for Anglophiles. I am Lacey Bogger-Miles, and I'm the editor here at Televisions. And joining me, as usual, is my co-host, Miss Annie Bundle. Hello. Hello. How are you today? A surprising lack of cats are in the closet while I'm recording, which is becoming an anomaly, so I'm going to enjoy it. Well, I can't. Charlotte was having the zoomies really bad this morning, and she kept running up and down the back of my chair as I was trying to do my piece. And it was like, I love you, cat. Could you just not do that? And then she stood on the top of the chair and like messed with my hair for a while because cat. Yep. So that was my morning. How are you? Um, you we, asked me that already. Okay, what are we but, doing today? <laughs> Brains, I have them somewhere. Our, our, our series of us uh, recording things a little bit early and out of order continues, so I don't know. We don't know what's happening. Nope. I hope we still have a good conversation. Today, uh, we are returning for just the second time to our sort of amorphously constructed British movie series where we talk about recent-ish British movies that I think we haven't quite put uh, I don't know. It's somewhere it's not classics revisited. It's not like it's about in the theater this week but it's recent enough that it's within the past handful of years. I don't know. Anyway, what we're talking about today is uh, <laughs> it makes me laugh when I think about it because it's like the diametrical opposition of our first episode which we did on the ban- the Banshees of Inisherin, which is one of the most depressing things I've ever sat through. But this film, uh, Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, is one of the like sunniest, frothiest things I have watched in a minute. And uh, Janet Mullaney is joining us because I believe she remo- reviewed this movie for us when it came out in an amorphous before time. Hi, Janet. Yes, I did. It was it, it was at a few movie theaters, and it was and you had to pay for it on Amazon Prime. It is now free on Amazon Prime, if you have Amazon Prime, which is nice. Um, it was a, it came out uh, last summer, the summer of 2022. It was a small piece of Oscar baitish type stuff, but not really. Um, in fact, when it sort of was in the Oscar conversation uh, last winter, uh, there were lots of critics who were like, I literally only just heard of this movie. What is this movie? And I was like, this movie is part of the Leslie Mendelssohn's. Where have you been? Um, I know. We do love to see her thriving. Uh, I felt like watching this movie, the first time I saw it, I my actual comparison that I made to my friend Marnie as we left was, uh, uh, no, I'm sorry. It wasn't Marnie. I saw it, but I saw it was somebody, but it, anyway, I called it like, I said it was like eating a macaron, macaron, oh, yeah, you know, sure. like it was literally, it had that perfect outer crunch. It had that sweet middle mush. Oh, it was just so great. Um, um, it's, there used to be like a little cottage industry of British movies like this. Like, mm-hmm. does it, David, like Miss, Miss Pettigrew lives for a day. Was yeah. What Greg reminded me of yesterday. And like, there was a little, little sort of vertical for these cute, like, uh, British movies, like aimed at your mom, kind of. Yeah. Well, I guess I'm my am, mom now. I am the mom <laughs> now. But well, it's um, probably aimed is- at me then. <laughs> I was talking audience. Like there, there used to be this whole little, not quite like, not with like the sort of serious bent of like Merchant and Ivory, but like a stat, like a more accessible kind of version of Merchant and Ivory. And there, these, I Miss Pettigrew lives for a day is a really great 
is a really great example that I can't seem to stop thinking about because Greg mentioned it last night. And I was like, wow, I really loved that movie. But I know it wasn't the only one like that. Mm -hmm. Um, This is actually based on a novel that is that was written in the 1950s called Mrs. Aris Goes to Paris. Um, And if you notice, it is the 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 H is dropped. And that's because the whole point is that she is, you know, a working class woman. So she's Mrs. Aris. Um, And it's it's really like considering that there's like, I don't know, five screenwriters credited to this thing. Like I was a little worried going into it originally um, because, you know, when you have that many writers, it's sort of one of those projects that clearly got passed from hand to hand to hand and who knows what came out the other side. But honestly, it's so cute. And Leslie Manville is so perfect in it. And it's one of those things because it came out right, it it sort of came out in the same run as, you know, her in Sherwood and her in The Crown and her in uh, uh, Dangerous Liaisons. It it really felt like it was sort of the the flip side of all of those dramatic roles where she got to be a little bit comedic, a little bit funny, a little bit silly, a little bit, you know, just easy. It was so easy to watch. I mean, it's incredibly saccharine if you are a person who does not mm-hmm. who does not like that kind of thing because it is really like everything magically turns out okay, and everyone she meets is touched by this charming cleaning lady, and she comes in and miraculously like changes their lives, and it's it's very like that kind of story, mm-hmm. but it's cute though. But it isn't saccharine. I mean, I think one of the great things about this movie is that um, there is an enormous well of sadness underneath it, and that mm. gives it so much strength and so much depth. Mm-hmm. And um, and it could be too cutesy, but it's not. And and really, when I was watching it this time, which I think was probably the second or third time I watched uh, I watched it, um, I was thinking, well, what is this movie really about? Because it touches on so many things. Yeah. Basically, it's a, we should, we have not actually described the plot and we should kind oh, of. fair. We should do that. Um, yes. Basically, <laughs> basically, Mrs. Harris is a cleaning lady. She's a working class woman, Mrs. Harris. Um, and she uh, basically bl- has, she blows all of her life savings on a designer gown from Dior that she, she desperately wants. That's her dream. One of the rich ladies she works for yeah. buys one and she sees it in her closet and she just is overwhelmed that like a piece of clothing could be this beautiful and transformational. Yeah. And so she basically decides she needs it um, because it will help transform her life. Mm-hmm. And so she goes to Paris and she winds up at Dior and she ends up sort of working there, but not really quite. It's. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And she unionizes them as well, <laughs> which is a thing that happens. You know, I love, I, 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 as someone who grew up in a unionist household, I do love the fact that we, that unionizing is now a good thing in the world again. Um. Anyway. Uh, I know. Solidarity, people. Mm-hmm. We love. Mm-hmm. But like, I just, I, I. You know, the thing is, is that, as you say, it is also a little sad. Like, this is this is all she wants is this dress and she believes that it will, you know, it, it, it will solve her life. And there's this level where you really, even though you know that there's no way a dress can solve your life, 
mm-hmm. even though God knows all of us have probably bought one thinking it would. Um, you root for her like you can't help it. Yeah, my my thing was always dyeing my hair a different color. <laughs> oh, <laughs> buying a cheap pair of earrings. <laughs> I mean, the um, desire for something pretty. You know, in 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 really this rather grim atmosphere. I mean, it's London in 1957, and um, I think rationing was just about tapering off. But mm-hmm. people were sort of tired, and they'd had this enormous trauma um, in the previous decade. And um, you know, she wanted something that would sort of lift her out of herself. And I mm-hmm. thought that was totally believable. I thought it's wacko, but um, <laughs> and also the fact that uh, the, the gorgeous dress she falls in love with belongs to Anna Chancellor's character, who is a horrible aristocrat who never pays her bills. Oh dear, I don't seem to have any change in me at the moment. And so she gets this wacko scheme because it really is to fly, to go <laughs> abroad, and it's going to cost a lot of money. Just apart from the dress, I mean, she's she's thinking she can do it in one day, you know, one day there and one day back, and um, of course she can't because that is not the way haute couture works. Um, and uh, it is, uh, it, it, but when you're watching it, it's thoroughly believable. Well, of course, this is what she should do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, the thing is, the logic, there is no logic here. No. Plausibility, no. Um, but, you know, like, honestly, if you think for two minutes how this this working class woman walks into Dior and the next thing you know, she's literally Isabella Huppert, uh, Isabel Huppert uh, plays the label's head, Claudine Colbert, um, and, 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 you know, the next thing you know, the two of them are like being besties, and the the uh, and and then Lambert Wilson is like, "You should join, you should join me. We're gonna go to the we're gonna go to the fashion show," and like, "Oh sure, <laughs> to hell with it." <laughs> I'm sorry, my favorite is like the teen, um, the teen goth girl <laughs> who is there with her terrible mom, who's married to the guy who's not paying his workers and causing the bin strike. But she is literally like that is a 1990s kid. Mm-hmm. Like sitting there in her goth look, like <laughs> watching these dresses. That oh yeah, like my favorite part. I loved it so much. Um, I also have to say, um, uh, as someone who was forced to watch Emily in Paris for a, a job I no longer have, um, seeing Lucas Bravo in this as the he's the accountant. Um, he's adorbs. He's that. He's really like my. He's very my type as well. Yeah, and he's so much. He's so good in this. Like I was, I was like, oh, thank God, he actually can act. <laughs> um, not that, not that he's terrible in Emily in Emily in Paris, but you know, Emily in Paris is well. I mean, for heaven's sakes, it's called Emily in Paris when it should be Emily in Paris. I have no, I have no words. <laughs> oh my gosh! Can I just tell you guys? I have been. I may have said this on the show before, but I've been doing Duolingo <laughs> um, because one of my best friends wanted to go to Paris for her her a big anniversary birthday. And mm-hmm. we were going to do this and we had this big plan to do it, but then the pandemic happened. So we did not go to Paris. But in anticipation of going to Paris, I've been doing Duolingo for like almost two years now and i gotta tell you duolingo freaking works because i could understand like maybe 50 percent of what they were saying in french like i'm sure i would have gotten the grammar wrong if you'd like asked me what they specifically said but i could basically be like when he was yelling at them to go back to work i was like yes (laughs) um they do they do i will say the, the french is is simple enough that you can understand it 
And I think that's also deliberate because, you know, a lot of British people do have like a very base French and they're sort of a simplistic French that a lot of British audiences understand. Uh, my Duolingo this week has been about um, learning to count like uh, where you have to start adding words to things like there's there's one word for 50 and there's one word to six for 60. But to mm -hmm. say like 70, it's like it's several words. Like yes. if you want to say 61, it's like three words. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh, my God, this is like, look at this working for me. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, but yes, it, there is a there is a there is a simplisticness to the French that makes it so that if you have some kind of base, you can sort of understand it. And that's also part of the delight of it is feeling like you understand french and feeling like oh i'm so smart and like it, there's so much about it that like is that that's just so feel good that that you can't help but grin as you're watching it and feel like it's made for you a bit like i very much felt like when i sat and watched this i very much felt like i was like somebody just made this for me so that i could be happy for two hours yeah i must say i thought that the um that the couple, the accountant, the incredibly hot accountant. Yes, that that's Lucas Bravo. Yes, Lucas Bravo. Uh, yes, we stand. <laughs> Who actually looks better with glasses on than off, which is sort of interesting. But um, and um, and Natasha, and the two of them are so deadly serious. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They are so adorable, and they're like reading Sartre. Like I just can't. Like <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, the you know, and of course, like the whole point of this, the whole point of 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 it being Dior in 1957 is that this is when the new look came out. Like this is this is the debut of the new look. Yeah. So, um, if you are someone who knows anything about fashion history, um, you know, you basically get to see this this recreation of a fashion show that that introduced things like, um. I don't know if I can explain it. Like the bar, the bar suit. The bar suit is literally the thing you think of when you think of a Chanel suit. Okay, like that. That's what it's called. It's called the bar suit. It's because it's got the bars. Think about it. Okay, like that's why we call it the bar suit. Like, and this is sort of and and so there's a lot of like like history, but like female history that's being celebrated here instead of the more you know instead instead of us like looking at like winston churchill taking back you know the prime ministership in the late 50s and you know the baking of the atomic bombs and all that other stuff no no let us celebrate this moment in fashion um i know nothing about fashion history yeah costumes were designed by jenny bevan who mm. i mean just does amazing work Yes. And she had access to the Dior archives as well. Fair. Um, she also, she, I, I, I don't know if she won the Oscar for Mrs. Harris or if she won it for something else, but I do know that she has an Oscar. I'm just not sure what she won it for. I have to now Google. Um, keep talking. <laughs> I will say that I, I don't know anything about fashion history, but like... I still, I mean, the clothes are so beautiful. You kind of like don't have to. And I knew instantly that something was going to happen because I was like, that green dress is not right for her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. But the red dress was fabulous. That red dress is beautiful. Sorry, we gave away the ending. She got the red dress. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and Jason Isaacs, which we also stand. Oh yes, that is. Uh, spoiler alert: she ends up with Jason Isaacs, which you should end up with Jason Isaacs if you have the chance. He is adorable. Um, she was nominated for Miss Harris Goes to Paris. This is actually her twelfth nomination. 
She won for Cruella and A Room with the View and Mad Max are the three times she's won. But she also did. Uh, I, I, I now that I'm looking at this, this makes so much more sense. She is one of those people who did all of those big, um, th- those big Merchant and Ivories, A Room with the View, Maurice Howard and Remain of the Day. Oh, we should do a more. We should do an app on Maurice. I, that, I watched that movie in college with a bunch of my boys, and that was yeah, uh, a great film. She did the sense. She did the 1995 Sense and Sensibility. She did Gosford Park, The King's Speech. So yeah, this is this is very much. I think that's also partly why, like, you think of sort of the Merchant and Ivory stuff as you watch this because you are getting the same sort of visuals um, from the same sort of designer from the same designer, and that's why this feels like it's a part of it, even though it is so much more fluffy and so much less like. You know, like people aren't standing at windows looking at looking sad and crying at the rain. Like that's not that that doesn't happen here. <laughs> I mean, it does. It does have that sort of like, um, like I said, I love that that this is just all a story about like working class solidarity and like working classes sort of mm-hmm. you, you know recognizing its power and being recognized by the sort of snobs that look down on them. But it does have that uh that real kind of need to put like a like every working class person you meet is just really honest and good and striving and like the best possible version of themselves it's a little like disney movie in that way but they're all adorable so it's fine um i i should note that if if they were to ever do a sequel there is actually mrs aris goes to new york is the second book Ooh. in this series um what does she do in new york do we know does she take jason isaacs um i do not know um i only know that that um because i looked it up when um when the movie came out originally because i wanted to know if it was based on a book and there was mrs harris goes to paris there's Miss, mrs harris goes to new york and there's another one too there's a couple there there's several of them where she goes around where she goes to like really glamorous cities and like gets to experience them and and has this sort of joyful experience in each one and and from you know from 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 like you know her humble her humble london roots basically getting to go out and be like a working class woman who experiences the world oh can we I just want to say something more about the clothes. Mm, yes, of course. Um, she has very, very limited wardrobe, mm. but it's a very well put together wardrobe. She mixes patterns, um, like she has a pinafore, and she wears the which is floral, and she wears it over another floral, and that was a big no no for everyone for years. But she gets away with it, and so she has this sort of style of her own. She just doesn't have. A great wardrobe to go along with it and she ends up with one great dress um and i think that's amazing for her and thank goodness she has the red dress because it fits right into the royal legion dance and uh and she looks gorgeous in it and and um archie falls in love with her and it's all great <laughs> uh, i think he loves her before then because she took care of his dogs yeah, no, I have to say, like, I was uh, I was of the belief that from the very beginning that I was like, oh, no, she needs to end up with Archie. Oh, my God. I was shipping them from their first scene. I wasn't even sure if her husband was dead. <laughs> I was like, but no, she should get with Jason Isaacs. Obviously, she's supposed to get with Jason Isaacs. I mean, look at him. Um, the other books, by the way, are Mrs. Eris Goes to Parliament and Mrs. Eris Goes to Moscow. Um, Moscow? 
I know, Moscow, which would have been the Soviet Union at that point, since these books are from the 1950s. Um, so there you go. That's a, there, there's like four of them if they were to make more uh, Leslie Har Not that Leslie Panville is wanting for work. Let us be clear. I mean, she has the crown season six, which maybe they'll use her this time. Um, <laughs> sorry, I was I, she was so underused in season five. Um, and... Uh, you know, she also did. She's coming back for Sherwood season two. Um, Dangerous Liaisons did not get a season two after all, but I'm sure she's. There's going to be other things that she's in that I know. Oh, um, 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 what am I thinking? Magpie Murders. They renewed it, at the, and they're doing Moonflower Murders. So she's starring in that as well. So yes, she. It's not like she's wanting for work. Right. Um, but I would still totally pay to go see Mrs. Harris Ghost to New York. I don't know about Parliament or Moscow. I just, I, if she takes Jason Isaacs to Parliament, I'm in. Okay, there we go. <laughs> I just wanted to be there being like really Irishy with his dogs <laughs> and his like betting book. Yes, that would be adorable. I, you are 100% correct. Um, so, how do we feel about the fact that these sorts of fairy tales don't aren't the kinds of things that come out anymore. And this is this is one of those holes in the movie landscape that has developed since the advent of streaming and theaters really only chasing sort of blockbusters and Oscar fare. Mm -hmm. like, it's would, why we don't have rom-coms anymore either. Yeah, well, we do have rom-coms. They just all end up on Netflix. Um, yeah, they're not very good. No, it's true. And every so often, Jennifer Lopez instead thinks it's a good idea to make an action film like The Mother. And um, no, someone should tell her no. She learned nothing from what was it, Jiggly? Mm -mm, <laughs> nothing. Um, anyway, uh, Janet, how do you feel about the fact that these sorts of movies don't seem, they don't really sort of make these very often anymore? Would you like to see more of them? Would this be, you know, considering how much you feel like a thing for you in the same way that Lacey and I feel like a thing for us? Yeah, I probably would if they'd done as well as this, because this was an immensely complex production. I mean, it was filmed in Paris and um, Prague, I think. And, and you know, as, as well as all the reconstructions of the garments and so on. Um, and yeah, um, and I, I don't know, I, I found myself wondering, really, watching it this time, you know, what is this movie about? Is it... Is it about a dreamer who, um, you know, manages to get a grasp on reality? <laughs> um, and is it about, you know, what happens to people after they have experienced terrible things during World War? And how do they cope with life afterwards? I mean, that, comes, that is handled in, in a lot of movies, though. Um, and also, I think you have to have somebody who's as believable as as Leslie Manville in it, because if it wasn't Leslie Manville, I can't think of anyone else who could possibly do this role. It was extraordinary. What, what I'm afraid, though, is if, is, if, is if more movies are made like this with this sort of fairly cute premise that it is going to just become cute, pretty much it's going to go where rom-coms have gone, where they're so predictable and so silly. And, um, you know, we don't want that. Mm. I mean, honestly, like one of the things I think about rom-coms going away is that they came back and they felt fresh again. And I I sort of think that one of the reasons why Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris felt so fresh is that we haven't had one of these in quite a long time. And that like I hadn't seen a movie like this in several years. 
Um, and that it was really like just a breath of fresh air to have them come back and have this sort of, you know, the last time I had done a 1950s period piece um, that wasn't a mystery show was actually um what was the name of it it um it was also based on uh chanel couture um phantom thread yes phantom thread oh love that movie Mm -hmm. um not british but love it yeah um and that that's another one which leslie manville is in now that you uh, yes (laughs) um She's Isabel Huppert in that. Yes, she is. She's a very different kind of character, though. Like, she's not, she, it's not hopeful in that way. So I guess, like, but at the same time, like, that was the first thing I thought of is that, and Phantom Thread was, like, 2016, 2017. Like, it'd been, like, five years, six yeah. years, something like How that. How about the series that didn't really hold together about the Paris, I can't remember what it's called, of course. Um, it was PBS. It was the fashion house during World War II. Oh, um, the signature? Um, no, no it wasn't. New... It wasn't the signature, but I know which one you're talking about. The collection. The, the collection. collection. That's it. Um, yeah. the collection was actually um, that was one of those. Uh, it actually was an Amazon show that then came to PBS on second run. Um, because it really was one of those shows where you looked at and you're like, why isn't this on PBS? Um, honestly, like I liked that show a lot, but it it attempted to have mystery elements to it Mm. um because it seemed to be afraid that it couldn't just be about fashion like there had to be things about the characters that you were trying to figure out even though it was very obvious that these mysteries were very convoluted and not really necessary um but it was like it didn't almost believe that 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 a story about a fashion house was enough to be a series if that makes sense Mm -hmm. whereas phantom both phantom thread and mrs harris really they just they don't they're not trying to be anything more than that and they know it's enough Mm -hmm. well the other thing that i think uh is true of both of those films and are actually true of the genre that i can't really figure out what to call like british movies for your mom sort of things (laughs) but like uh they they feature older actors in a way that like you know, Frances McDormand is the star of Miss Pettigrew Lives for a Day, and Leslie Mandel is the star of this, and Phantom Thread is full of of older every like there's not like an ingenue in there. No, and, and I feel I like was... a lot of people when they want to make this this they want they want to make these movies about Natasha. They want that like that's the character that they put in the center of these stories as opposed to the younger sort of like you know, discovering that fashion is dangerous or bad. It's Natasha. It's the Devil Wars Prada. It's not like it's Cruella. You know, it's not women who've like seen stuff. Yeah. Um. You know, it's the make. It, it, it. It's not about Cruella who has seen stuff. It's about Cruella when she's young, right? And 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 those. Are, I totally get that. And yes, you are correct. Um. You know, honestly, like the the sort of at this point, you do see some of these, like like Maggie Smith did a couple of these, and uh, after Downton, and um, oh yeah, like uh, what is the hotel? Um, the uh, the the, the, the most exotic Marigold Hotel. Yeah, that's another one. That's a great movie. Yeah, um, you know, Dench does these. You know, these are these are where older uh, older female actors end up doing a lot of these kinds of films. Look, and- I will always stand tea with Mussolini, which not only features Maggie Smith and Judy Dench, but also Cher. There you go. I mean, honestly, let, let's be real. Like, if we had an American who was going to go around playing a duchess the same way that Maggie Smith and Judy Dench do, it would be Cher. <laughs> and she just really leans into being like the nouveau riche American, like Jewish lady with money. It's great. No. 
Um, so, um, since we are looking back on this as, uh, you know, since it came out last year, um, are there movies coming out in this, this year that you are looking forward to that feel like that they are in the same vein? Or is the landscape sort of empty of this going forward? Do we need more of these to be coming out? I guess is a way is what I'm asking. I will always watch British movies for your mom. <laughs> They're targeted like a laser at me. I think there will always be British movies where they have pretty clothes and um and, you know, well known faces. And whether that's gonna devalue the genre i don't know i mean i'd rather have a movie like mrs harris every year that's enough it's good yeah i mean like honestly like the one the the one costume drama i can think of right now is firebrands but that's partly because it's just debuted over at cons and so like it's fresh in my mind but it's definitely not in the british movies for your mom oh it's not this that's this is that's a very serious like prestige period piece. Yeah, and that is very much making a play for awards. I mean, the thing is that Mrs. Harris did sort of make a play for awards, but it was sort of like, well, since we actually made it to theaters, we're supposed to give what give a nomination to our costume person, please. Like that was you could sort of feel like there wasn't a seriousness about it. Like they knew no one would take them seriously, and they weren't trying to be taken seriously. If that makes sense. Um, that they 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 were only doing it because it was expected of them, not because they expected to get anything from it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also uh, just uh, um, do we think um, in terms of Leslie Manville, do we want to see more of this kind of movie from her rather than doing the sort of you know being underused in the Crown or um these sort of mysteries the I love Magpie Murders. I know that this is not that is not your genre, Lacey. Um, though I was well, I did. I liked it more than a lot of the mysteries you made me watch. That's true. Um, but that's because honestly, that was that one was more interesting than most. Um, but I also would say that uh, it's you know those are the types of things that you are expected to go and do as an A list star. Because those are the sorts of things that everybody's supposed to watch. Making a Mrs. Harris is kind of chancy in a way. Because you don't know if it's going to actually like read for audiences. Because there's so few of them, if that makes sense. Like this is the sort of thing that a streamer would take more of a chance on and then forget to market. <laughs> you know, like like HBO Max or Max or whatever the hell it's called now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I do think that as an industry, like Hollywood has kind of forgotten these sort of mid-market, just like solid dramas that aren't the movies nobody sees because they're going to win Oscars or the blockbusters everybody sees because they're part of like an expanded cinematic universe. So, I mean, I think there's obviously still a space for films like this. Or there's there should be more films like this, not just because I like them. I mean, they don't all have to be British movies for your mom, but... Like this kind of this range of film, I think, is is a real gap in our current kind of cinematic market, if you will. I think it's all about the timing as well. I mean, um, I'm thinking, for instance, of Truly Madly Deeply, which is I don't think it's streaming anywhere, which we should do sometime because it's a brilliant, brilliant movie, uh, which came out right about the same time as the movie Ghost came out, which was also about somebody 
who um, lost a lover and then they sort of came back in some weird way, except Truly Madly Deeply was so much better. But it just sort of disappeared because it was this small British film. Real shame. So I, I'm really glad that um, uh, Mrs. Harris is, you know, out there on Amazon and it is available and people can see it and it's grand. And I, I don't know whether I don't know whether Le- Leslie Manville would do. I, I mean, what would you say the typical role for Leslie Manville is? I mean, she tends to play these tough women. Um. Yeah, um, I honestly think that like when when she was announced as Princess Margaret, that felt very much in her lane. That was that was a that was a classic Leslie Manville role. It's the same sort of thing that she'd played in World on Fire. It's the same sort of thing that like, you know, in, in, in her Phantom Thread. I have not watched Harlots and it shows. <laughs> um, yes, I, I will. I will admit that I forgot that she was in Harlots. Um, but. I'm just saying, though, that like most people, when they think of Leslie Manville, her role in Phantom Thread is sort of like is sort of like the 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 world on fire, the 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 Princess Margaret. It's much closer to that than it is to this, even though, you know, one made me think of the other very quickly. Um, And I think that that's, um, you know, so I think this is a sort of a playing against the type for her. Um, which is why I think it was more of a chance than most. Um, I also think just in general, like I just was trying to run through like in my brain, like British films that are coming out like this year. And all I could think of off the top of my head was Haunting in Venice, which um, that's the next Poirot thing. Please stop him. Oh, no, not another Poirot. <laughs> yes, another, another, another Kenneth Branagh does and Poirot. And this time I think it's one that he's like made up, so it's going to be especially terrible. Um, and uh, uh, the other thing I could think of, and I'm not even sure if this counts as a British film, is Wonka. No. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, that's all I could think of. Like, I'm not, I can't. I mean, there have to be others, but those are the two that, those are the only two I can think of that have gotten press. Oh, and Chicken Run. But that doesn't count because it's it's plasticine. Well, I mean, if you think about it, look at at the a lot of, a lot of times people tend to think that British movies are synonymous with like Oscar bait. Like mm-hmm. nobody had heard of Banshees of Inisherin until you know it, right. it entered the awards conversation. That's true. Um, and like, and some of the things I can think of aren't things that I'm not e- even sure are going to make it to. Like I've mentioned Chicken Run, but that's actually Netflix. Like I'd like to see then I'd like to see it hit theaters because I really like the first one. But you know, um, there's a Napoleon that Ridley Scott's doing, but I think that's going oh, to yeah. mm-hmm. I think that's going direct to Apple TV. I don't know if that's going to hit theaters, and that's you know that's another problem that we have with the world of streaming is that it sort of helps hollow out these films by putting them places that aren't theaters. And I understand that like for Netflix especially putting a movie in theaters really isn't its business. You know, it only does it to sort of, you know, hype up for when it arrives on Netflix, as it did with the Glass Onion movie uh, last year. But that's, you know, like, I I just sort of feel like there's a lot of these sort of British films that I would want to go see don't make it to theaters. And that Mrs. Harris is actually kind of an outlier for that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think that I'm married to having to see anything in the theater. Oh, well. Except, except maybe the stuff that has to, I hate 3D, but like some of the stuff like that's the big spectacle things, it does work better in a theater. But if they're going to only put it on streaming, I need them to promote it better. Mm. Mm. That's true. Even though like, 
when you say big spectacle, of course, the first thing I thought of was that Oppenheimer movie. I don't want to see that in three days. <laughs> yeah, I don't really. I love um, <laughs> you guys. Everybody's heard me talk about Peaky Blinders. Know how much knows how much I love Silly Murphy. Um, but yeah, that's gonna be a lot. Yeah. I don't want to see that in 3D. I'm not sure I want to see that in theaters. Um, I'll go see Barbie instead. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, final thoughts, I guess. I loved Mrs. Harris. I, I enjoyed like every moment of watching that was just total joy. Hmm. It's not especially like I can see why it never sort of entered the the kind of larger awards conversation because it's not the kind of movie that gets rewards for that and yes some of the tropes are a little bit annoying like wow does literally every seamstress at the, seamstress at the house of dior like want to be her friend that's weird but it sort of works in the world of the movie mm-hmm. in the same way that like you know the head of chanel comes over to her and i think she's about to be thrown out and the next thing i know like they're besties and i'm like well that's not real but okay <laughs> Well, yeah, I I mean, it's sort of strangely miraculous. You know, she arrives in Paris and then she and then she gets offered a place to stay and she... I and know, she, and she meets some nice vagrants instead and, of right? mean ones. She, yeah, she, she, she meets some nice Parisians. And and I also thought it was hilarious that she... First, first thing she does is clean the apartment and then she makes <laughs> toad yeah, in the yeah, hole this is This is a movie where, like, the... Um, there's like a word for this trope, but like the she loves cleaning. Like mm. she's a cleaning lady who just loves to clean. Like she does not. This is not only her job. It's like she loves tidying up other people's mess. Which is a little like girl want something better for yourself. Mm-hmm. She likes creating order, mm. and she's basically a powerless person. So this is the only power she has yes. is to clean. She's clean she's working class. Man's house. She's poor. let that random man clean his own house (laughs) oh wait do you know what we forgot charlotte haywood stay as ruining oh right oh i forgot she plays the ditzy girl i yes that actually um was one of the things that i thought was so delightful because i'd seen her you know we've all seen her in saniton now and seeing her play a completely different character i was like oh good i need that girl to get way more work and i need her to do way more comedies I know she's very funny. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> anyway, make the men clean their own houses, Mrs. <laughs> Harris. Unless they pay you. That man is very adorable, but was not paying you. It's true. And and honestly, like you had Archie at home. If you yeah. really were gonna go <laughs> clean anybody's house, go clean Archie's. Anyway. And his cute dogs. Mm-hmm. Do you think he rescues the greyhounds from the track? Yes, I do, actually. I thought that was sort of the point. Greyhounds don't always have happy endings. Mm. I just, I, that's that's like the headcanon that I wrote for Archie while I was watching this, is that he, like, he probably adopted that dog, Hot Couture, like, because it's clearly, like, a terrible, a terrible at being a racing greyhound. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah. I've just decided he adopts all of them. Yeah, that's kind of, that was kind of my headcanon, too. So, um, you weren't the only one who went there. I make my own fun. <laughs> Sorry, with my Charlotte Haywood interjection, I, I stepped over everyone's final thoughts. Final thoughts, other people. I don't know if I would absolutely need, like, Mrs. Harris go to New York, but I would like to see more of these kinds of films. I think I'm with you, Janet. One a year would be great, and I would like them to actually make it to theaters. Um, 
if for no other reason than movies that do debut in theaters seem to be treated with more respect than movies that only go to streaming. Um, and that's not fair on like so many levels, but it's true. And it's something that we can't change in our universe right now, at least not now. And so I feel like that I would like to see more of these and I'd like to see them at least have, as you noted, I mean, Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris wasn't in a lot of theaters and it wasn't in a lot of cities. It was, it was, it was one of those things where you had to know when it came out. Yes, and it was know an when art film. Yeah. Um, but if you didn't know, like you, and you missed it, but I, I, you know, it did hit theaters and that makes it a little more prestigious, I guess. And so I, I would like to see more of that. Final thoughts? It's a great movie. Go and hunt it down and watch it if you haven't. Um, and I'm just sort of astonished by, uh, by the versatility shown by everyone in this, including Leslie Manville. I mean, she could basically pull anything out of a hat and it's quite brilliant. And I love the political undertones and overtones of it too. Um, the fact that she... <laughs> She goes and invades Dior's office um, with all the workers, I thought was just great. And it has, it has charm and smarts and it has lovely dresses. And, you know, what else do you need? Right. Right. And just everyone is the best version of themselves, except for the lady who's married to a literal garbage man. <laughs> so we all win, really. <laughs> That is our second episode of British Movies uh, on Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. And if you have a recent-ish, I'm going to say like past few years, defined few, however that speaks to you, uh, movie that we should talk about. Uh, I don't watch a lot of movies, so the odds are very good that I haven't seen it, which will be fun for me. Uh, email us at televisions at weta.org. We're also um, looking for more ideas for our Classics Revisited series, which I don't remember when we're going to do the next one that, but it's not too far in the future. So if you have a TV show or a classic film, which is defined as being more than a few years old, um, we would love to hear your ideas for that too. Same email address. Uh, Janet, as always, thank you uh, for being here with us. Oh, my pleasure. Second week in a row. Yes. I don't know if these episodes are actually airing in a row, but it's the second week in a row we've recorded with Janet, so it's nice. Um, anyway, tell the people where you live online. Well, I don't really live anywhere online at the moment. Um, I am on Twitter, um, and I don't do a whole lot there. And, I mean, I just don't like what's going on with Twitter at the moment, to put it mildly. Um, I'm on Facebook. Uh, I keep saying I'm going to put up pictures of the garden, but um, I'd have to sort of weed a bit if I do that. Um, but eventually there will be pictures of, you know, grossly misshapen tomatoes and things like that and <laughs> tiny cucumbers and, uh, and sunflowers falling over. So that, that will all be coming. That's a, that's a summer attraction. Um, and, uh, and I write stuff for televisions. I also write occasional book reviews for the Jane Austen Society of North America. Fancy. I wonder if she knows your mom, Annie. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I do believe Janet is aware of my mother. Yes, uh, I am aware of your mother. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, we should do a whole episode on that one day. We should have your mom on. That would be wild. No, we should not. 
Do you have any idea what it'd be like to get her on a mic? Um, anyway, Annie, to avoid talking more about your mom, tell the people <laughs> where you live online. Now, now that you have put the nightmares of me trying to set my mother up with a microphone in my brain <laughs> for me to for me to wake up screaming from for the next few weeks. Um, let's see. Uh, I am at any bundle basically everywhere on the internet. Um, I am uh, at Miss Any Bundle on Facebook. I am at Any Bundle on Instagram. Though those are not really uh, about my posts. Those are just cats because cats um let's see i am the associate editor here at television so i also freelance around the web um let's see i'm probably uh when this came out i've probably i don't even know what i've been writing about because i have no idea when this comes out because it's weeks from now i don't remember anything i am a swiss cheese brain today i'm sorry just 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 put me over with the rest of the oatmeal and let me i don't know settle there and i'm gonna go rage garden when we're done okay Cool. <laughs> Huzzah! <laughs> um, yeah, I am Lacey MB on uh, Twitter. That is L A C Y M B, and also literally everywhere else that allows you to have a handle, including some places that I haven't even bothered to post yet. So there's that. Um, if you just want the site and the pod, we are on social media at Telly underscore Visions on Twitter and Televisions blog, all one word, on Facebook. If you like what we do, you can visit us at televisions.org to get more of it, including recaps, news, updates, reviews, listicles, and I don't know, whatever else we come up with on a given day. Uh if you really want to like what we do, you can click up the uh click on, not click up. Click on the donate button that is up top on that website and help us keep making all of this great content for your eyes and ears. In doing so, you will have the opportunity to get access to PBS Passport, which is full of early and exclusive binge opportunities of shows of all varieties, including several of the mysteries that are coming this summer and later this year, and a bunch of Walter's Choice stuff that I can't even begin to name right now. But uh, that is our show. As I said, if you have suggestions for things you think we should cover, we are at televisions at weta.org, and we would love to hear your ideas. Uh, happy summer. I don't even, the worst part is I don't know when this episode is coming, so I don't know how to frame my like, my like standard spiel at the end. Uh, if the writer strike is still ongoing by the time this drops, we still support the writers and think people should pay them. I'm pretty sure it's going to still be going. Uh, it's summer. Put on sunscreen, be nice to somebody you don't know, go outside, soak up some vitamin D, and have fun. Happy Memorial Day, which may have already not happened. happened or already happened, depending. I don't know. What is time? I'm an artist. Uh, anyway, I'm just going to stop now because I'm going to make an idiot of myself. But as always, we appreciate you. We thank you for listening. We hope that you are taking care of yourselves and each other, and we will see you next week. Bye.